Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom He died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the Scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the Word of God regardless of who gets offended or not. In Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. The Word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And looking at this declarative statement of Holy Scripture, Hebrews 9, 27, and the whole of the Word of God, we know that immediately upon death, one is judged. It's kind of like a criminal who gets arrested for doing a crime and is put immediately where he belongs in jail, right? And then the next day or two, there comes the arraignment and then there's a trial, etc. That's kind of a picture of how things play out in eternity for all human beings, where when you die, you go immediately to either heaven or hell. In Revelation 6, we see the souls of the saints under the altar of God in heaven. They're in complete comfort, and it will always be. What a blessing. And then also, we see in Luke 16, beginning in verse 19 through 31, a rich man. Well, he was rich, not anymore, because naked came I into this world, and naked shall I return. Book of Job, 1 Timothy 6. And we see that this man who died, he was a wicked man. He went immediately into the bowels of eternal damnation and cried out for even one drop of water and was denied it, which he will be denied it for world without end because hell is irrevocable. Luke 16, 19 through 31, a passage, a teaching from Jesus that is just absolutely rich with content about eternity. You'll also notice that Lazarus, a righteous man, poor on earth, now rich forever with heavenly bliss, died and went immediately to a place of comfort. That was before Jesus raised from the dead and led captivity captive. I believe that means he led those in Abraham's bosom to eternal glory. He was in comfort, so were all the righteous. Notice famous atheist's last words before dying. Caesar Borgia said, while I lived, famous atheist, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die and am unprepared to die. Remember, Jesus said, what good would it be for a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark chapter 8, verse uh, 36, and in verse 37, oh, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Thomas Hobbes, a political philosopher, said, I say again, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it to live one day. I am about to take a leap into the dark, unquote. Thomas Paine, a leading atheistic 
writer in the American colonies in the early days of the formation of America. He said this, this atheist Thomas Paine, stay with me for God's sake, he declared, he cried. I cannot bear to be alone, to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave me. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me, for I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an angel, an agent, I have been that one. So Thomas Paine had written a pamphlet called The Age of Reason, and he was an influential figure in the early uh, days of America. And what he did in his pamphlet was attack traditional or biblical Christianity. Paine was a deist, an important figure in the American Revolution, and he argued that God existed, but the Bible was largely a myth and that miracles were impossible. And now we see Thomas Paine on his deathbed crying out for mercy and realizing his separated, his lost state. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, that hell is going to, is described as outer darkness. That If you think about that, you know, if you put your hand in front of your face over your eyes with your eyes open, when you talk outer darkness, you're not even going to be able to see your own hand in front of your eye. That is frightening. I believe that's Matthew 8, 12. Look up the words outer darkness. Sir Thomas Scott, a chancellor in England, said this, until this moment, I thought there was neither a God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both, and I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty." Unquote. Voltaire, a famous philosopher, French philosopher, an anti-Christ, anti-Christian atheist, said this, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. He told a, a doctor that. Then he said, then I shall die and go to hell. And by the way, his nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die all night long. Voltaire cried for forgiveness. This is also the same Antichrist, a pawn of the devil by his own choosing, who declared that the Bible would be completely vanquished from the earth and that the name of Jesus would be forgotten and that he was more famous than Jesus Christ. This guy, Voltaire, a hundred years after he died in infamy, if you will, his house that he had lived in was actually a Bible printing house. The poetic justice of the Almighty. The Bible tells us in Daniel 4, I believe it's verse 32, that God himself rules in the affairs of men. Let's get the exact wording there. Daniel, I believe this is something we should memorize. Daniel chapter 4, verse 32 says that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and give it to who, whomsoever he will. So the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. God really is in charge of all 
all things. This is His earth, we're breathing His air, and we're going to stand before Him in judgment. Robert Ingersoll said, O God, if there be a God, save my soul, if I have a soul. O God, if there be a God, save my soul, if I have a soul from hell, if there be a hell, unquote. David Hume, an atheist philosopher, famous for his philosophy of empiricism and skepticism of religion, he cried loud on his deathbed. He screamed out, quote, I am in flames. It is said that his desperation was a horrible scene. Those who witnessed the death of David Hume, an antichrist, described such an occasion as a horrible scene. Napoleon Bonaparte, the French emperor who, like Adolf Hitler, brought death to millions of to satisfy his greedy, power-mad, selfish ambitions for world conquest. And this is what he said in his dying breath. I die before my time and my body will be given back to the earth. Such is the fate of him who has been called the great Napoleon. What an abyss between my state or my deep misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ. Wow. Sir Francis Newport, the head of an English atheist club, to those who gathered at his deathbed, he said, you need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one and that I am in his presence. You need not tell me there is no hell. I feel myself already slipping. Wretches, ceases your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Oh, that fire. See, he was between his earthly body and eternity, apparently, when he said, Oh, that fire. Oh, the unsufferable, insufferable pangs of hell. Oh, that I could lie for a thousand years upon the fire that is never quenched to purchase the favor of God and be united to him again. But it is a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer to the end of my torments than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, eternity, forever, forever. Oh, the insufferable pains of hell. Unquote Sir Francis Newport. Now, it's interesting that he preached more on hell in that last statement before he went to hell than most preachers in a year or two years preach on hell. Most of those claiming to be representing Christ these days are absolute frauds. Any man not preaching eternal judgment, that's called hell. For the wicked is a false prophet. And let me just interrupt this program, if you will as the commercial saying goes, and ask you, are you listening to preachers who aren't preaching on hell? If you are, you are bidding Godspeed to a false teacher, and you're going to pay just like he is going to pay. You're bidding Godspeed to him, and you're going to receive an eternal reward the eternal reward of a false teacher. Second John chapter, there's only one chapter. Second John verse 10 and 11 tells us this. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. And that is the doctrine of Christ given to us in the gospels and then unveiled further by his apostles called the apostles doctrine, Acts 2.42. And that included hell. Jesus preached on hell more than he preached on 
heaven. And if you're not preaching on hell, which is the eternal judgment of God upon everyone who dies separated from God, then you're preaching another gospel. And Paul says, you, sir, are accursed. So this is what he's talking about in Second John verse 9 through 11, verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, that includes eternal judgment in hell. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. You're going to be punished with him. So it's time to repent and preach the full counsel of God's word, namely the cardinal doctrines of the original gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice Jesus taught in Mark 9, beginning in verse 43. Now you have to read the King James because to one degree or the other, the new versions have butchered this passage because Satan doesn't like believers warning unbelievers of their eternal destination, and that would be called hell. And we see this last man that we read about, Sir Francis Newport, actually quoting from this passage, which most pastors today could never be found quoting, talking about if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee, Jesus said, to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm, that means consciousness, it's an idiom, meaning their consciousness dieth not. And the fire is not quenched, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life, that is, heaven, eternal life, than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched, for every one shall be salted with fire. Everybody that goes to hell is going to be preserved in consciousness, is what that means. Salt is a preservative, so that they can be tormented world without end. There is no release date from this prison of fire sentence. It's irrevocable. And every sacrifice shall be salted with fire. He says it again. Salt is good, he says. So it's a preserve that is going, this is the way Jesus is conveying that there's going to be no end to the suffering of those in hell. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, along with other places that, let's see, to be absent, notice verse 6, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. As long as you're on earth, in your earth suit, your temporary physical body, you're absent from the Lord. And then he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So anybody who is a believer, a born again believer who's abiding in Christ, you must abide or remain in him or you will not be with him eternally. John 15, 6, Jesus said to his own that if you don't abide in me, you don't remain in vital union with me on my stated terms, that is, you're going to be cast into the fire. In fact, Second Peter 2, 20 and 21 tells us that actually it's going to be worse for those who have known the way of righteousness and turned from it. Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's exactly what we see in Luke 16, 19 through 31, where the righteous man, Lazarus, died and he went immediately into the presence of the Lord. Whereas the wicked man died and he went immediately into the flames of eternal damnation. And the Bible says he cried out that he was being tormented in this flame. And as we just read at the end of Mark 9, that that flame and that conscious torment and the feeling of it is never going to cease. Annihilation is a lie. And anyone who says anything or teaches anything to try to diminish the reality revealed in Holy Scripture about the excruciating, severe suffering that awaits the wicked is a false teacher, period. Philippians chapter 1, we see this again, Philippians chapter 1. Let's see, how about verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a blessing. It's going to be gain. It's going to be eternal bliss for the righteous. And Paul speaks as a man who is born again and in Christ, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot, or means know not, for I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul's speaking about being at the end of his life and knowing that his time is coming to depart and to be with Christ. But for them, it was needful that he stayed there and helped them to be equipped and to continue to grow in the grace of Christ. But notice the statement he makes, I have a desire, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. So the believer has an eternal hope. The things which are seen, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 at the end, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Revelation chapter 22, verse 11, before we get back to some of the famous last words of Antichrist. Notice Revelation 22, 11, he that is unjust when he dies, let him be unjust still. In other words, if you die unjust, you go into the place of all those who die in sin, who die unjust, which means unjustified. And he which is filthy, dirty from sin, the stain of sin, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, Hallelujah. Let him be righteous still. That means the righteous, those that are in right standing with God when they die, they're going to remain in the state of righteousness with the Lord in eternity. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So again, that's speaking of you're going to be in the place eternally that you're going to be, whether it be heaven or hell, based on whether or not you chose to obey God, to worship him, to serve him above yourself, according to and on his stated terms in his word. The Lord Jesus's apostle Paul wrote in Romans 6.16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Those who yield, everyone is yielding to somebody. Those who yield to Christ, they obey him. They have his righteousness. And those who yield to sin have 
death. Again, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You know, the grace of God in Christ has saved us not to sin, but from sin. In fact, he had just spoken that in Romans 6, 14, which is all about the cross, by the way. Romans 6. He says in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That is, those who are in Christ, they're crucified with Christ. In verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Only those that are dead to self, denying self, taking up the cross, living the crucified life, are actually freed from sin. If you are wondering why you haven't been able to overcome sin, it's because you're not crucified with Christ. And Galatians 5.24 says, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. This is the doctrine of Christ, verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. Friends, if you're not free from sin, if you're not saved from habitual sin, you're not saved for heaven. Make no mistake. Being then made free from sin, I know that a lot of people don't like the naked truth, the acts to the root truth spoken only because they are unrepentant. They love darkness rather than light. They've been coddled in their sin by false teachers all their life. Paul warned of that. He said to Timothy, you preach the word. Gentlemen, let us preach the word fearlessly other than having the fear of God because we're going to give account to him for such as to whether or not we preached the whole counsel of his truth, not compromising any of it. And that's what Paul's telling his younger understudy, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, you're going to be judged, man. I charge thee, and I'm telling you, my brothers in Christ, I'm charging you before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is on the authority of his word. I'm reading it right now, beginning in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, that I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, that's the living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. By the way, hell is included in sound doctrine. If you're not preaching the judgment of God, the eternal judgment of God, which is hell, for all who die in sin, you are not preaching the original gospel and you are a false teacher that's going to hell as sure as you're hearing my voice. For the time will come and they will not endure, they will not hold themselves accountable that the people that we preach to sound doctrine. But after their own love, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He finishes chapter six of Romans. What fruit ye had then? What fruit had ye then? And those things whereof ye are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin. Why? Because you're dead and buried with Christ. He that is dead is freed from sin. He had just said that in verse 7. You cannot separate your relationship with Christ from the crucified life. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Is Jesus your everything or is he just a little hobby tucked into a two-hour segment on Sunday morning? 
That's what we must ask. Is Jesus the Savior, the first love of our lives, or is he not? But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. There it is. See, when you're made free through being one with Christ, you're the servant of God, and the fruit that's going to be produced is holiness. That's right here, Romans 6, 22. And the end of that life is going to be everlasting life, for the wages of sin is death. It's still death, folks. Doesn't matter how many people that, you know, have been peddling this once saved, always saved, mythical, heretical lie of the devil, doctrine of devil. The wages of sin is still death, folks. It pays to read the Bible honestly for yourself. You want to get people, you want to start a firestorm? Trust me, if you've seen my social media post and on the website, Safeguard Your Soul, the wealth of expose on this demonic doctrine of once saved, always saved, eternal security, otherwise called by the Calvinist, perseverance of the saints. You've never seen these little cowards come out of the woodworks like roaches running for their lives. Then when you drop the bomb on them, that there's no such thing as once saved, always saved. You're on probation. If you die in sin, you're going to hell. You know, these people go crazy. You could curse the Lord Jesus Christ and they wouldn't even be bothered by that. But don't you dare tell them that they can't live any way they like and still be saved. These people are moral cowards. I make no apology for saying that because Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says, the first class of sinners going to the lake of fire are those who are fearful. It means they're cowards. They don't want to be honest with God and engage in a vital union with Christ, no matter what it costs on this earth. They just want to use Jesus to try to get out of hell. But God sees right through it. And they're going to hear the words, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. They don't have the fruit of holiness in their lives because they're not crucified with Christ. Romans 6, you have your fruit unto holiness. See, that's what eternal life is manifesting in all who really have it. And the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, notice all the verbiage we just read, and yet they don't know that verbiage. They don't want to know it. They're just going to say, see, it's a gift. You can't lose a gift. Whoever said you can't lose a gift? First of all, it's human reasoning. Second of all, everything I have is a gift, but sometimes it gets taken away. Job, book of Job, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, right? Whoever said you can't lose a gift? That's ridiculous. If a teenager is given the gift of vehicle at his 16th birthday and he misuses that gift and totals the car, guess what? He no longer has that gift. They also use the sealed scam. Look up the word sealed on search box, safeguardyoursoul.com. Absolutely explosive revelation. Destroying this lie that somehow this redefinition, this redefining of the word seal to mean indelible, can't lose it. Ridiculous. The same Greek word in Ephesians twice for that we get the English word sealed from is also found in Matthew 27, 66, where the Bible says the tomb of Jesus was sealed, but we all know that seal wasn't permanent. If it was, then you're saying that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead and you're a heretic. Notice Charles, King Charles, a French king who urged on by his mother, gave the order for the massacre of the French Huguenots. That's They were believers in which 15,000 souls were 
were slaughtered in Paris alone and 100,000 Huguenots in other sections of France for no other reason than that they loved Christ. And let me add that they refused to come under the illegitimate authority of the phony Roman Catholic Pope. This was during the Inquisitions where the Roman Catholic Church murdered in cold blood 63 million Christians. It continues, the guilty king, that is Charles, who had killed, looks like 115,000 Christians. The guilty king suffered miserably for years after that event. And remember, the wages of sin is death, not only temporally, but eternally. He finally died, it said, bathed in blood, bursting from his veins. Wow. So his veins burst blood out. To his physicians, he said in his last hours, quote, asleep or awake, I see the mangled forms of the Huguenots passing before me. They drop with blood. They point at their open wounds. Oh, that I had spared at least the little infants at the bosom. What blood? I know not where I am. How will all this end? What shall I do? I am lost forever. I know it. Oh, I have done wrong. Let us be aware that the Bible teaches that everyone who seeks repentance, which is a gift of God, is not necessarily going to find it. This should scare the wits out of us. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Proverbs 14, 27. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus said, you better fear him, my friends, that after he has killed you, is able to cast you into hell. Luke 12, 4 and 5. Notice Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, the demonic Calvinist and once saved, always saved heretics will have you believing somehow that you're going to heaven no matter what. But the Bible just said right here, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. No man shall see the Lord without holiness. That holiness means sanctified and set apart to the Lord. Looking diligently, verse 15, Hebrews 12, lest any man fail of the grace of God's fail to appropriate it, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. So that's what we're seeing in some of these people that serve the devil, their conscience being seared as with a hot iron. They went to the point of no return. And when you read the book of Hebrews, you will find, as we just noticed here in Hebrews twelve seventeen. That Esau, a fornicator, one who lived on his own, own sinful terms all his life, 
found no place of repentance. See, and in contrast, the godly are cutting off the hand and plucking out the eye, anything that causes them, cutting off the foot, that's figurative language, conveying a severity towards any sin in your life, because the wages of sin is death, and it will cause you to die and go to hell, where your suffering will never cease. Mark 9, 43 through 49. Notice Revelation 19 concerning the righteous, and this is how we know if we're truly Christ. Notice, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. You see, notice, his wife hath made herself ready. The bride of the great bridegroom is like the five wise virgins of Jesus' parable in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. They're making themselves ready. First John 3, 3, speaking of the return of Christ, says, Every man that has this hope, the hope of Christ's return, uh, purifieth himself, even as he, Christ, is pure. Memory verse right there. Remember, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 tells us that Jesus Christ is coming back for a church without spot or blemish or any such thing, but one that is holy, right? One that is holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. So his wife, Revelation 19, verse 7, hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that, you know, it's like a woman that's engaged to a man and she just lives for that day of them having a wedding, their wedding day and being married, entering into that marriage for the rest of their lives. That's a picture of Christ and his bride. His bride, like the five wise virgins believers who went into the bridal chamber with the great bridegroom and upon whose faces the door was shut on the foolish virgins, but they prepared themselves, the wise virgins. They kept their lamps full of the virtue of the bridegroom through intimate fellowship with him and through preparing. And that's what we see illustrated here. His wife hath made herself ready. Are you, my friend, making yourself ready? Are you living for the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, when you see all these things come to pass that we're beginning to see now in the beginning of sorrows, lift up your head and look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Beloved, don't miss eternal bliss with the great bridegroom, the Almighty himself, heaven's King of kings and Lord of lords for this world. Be not conformed to this world. Present your body a living sacrifice to cross every day, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Why? Because those that are friends with the world, James 4, 4, are the enemies of God. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, 1 John 2, 15. So be not conformed to this world. Learn not the way of the heathen, Jeremiah 10, 2. Back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that is, through the washing of water by the word, in the word daily. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Revelation 19, picking up in verse 8, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, as opposed to spotted and stained by sin. Clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's Jesus. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. That's Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. 
through 9. So, famous last words of the wicked. Notice David Strauss. He was a leading representative of the German rationalism movement, and he spent a whole lifetime, his whole life, trying to erase the belief in God out of any and everybody's mind in the German nation. And here's what he said on his deathbed. My philosophy leaves me utterly forlorn. I feel like one caught in the merciless jaws of an automatic machine, not knowing what time one of its great hammers may crush me. How about Joseph Stalin, Soviet revolutionary and politician? In a Newsweek interview with Svetlana, his daughter, she told of his death. Here's what she said of her father, Joseph Stalin's death. I believe he killed 20 million people, by the way. She said this of her father, My father died a difficult and terrible death. God grants an easy death only to the just, she said. She continues, At what seemed the very last moment, he suddenly opened his eyes and cast a glance over everyone in the room. It was a terrible glance, insane or perhaps angry. His left hand was raised, and though he were pointing to something above and bringing down a curse on us all, the gesture was full of menace. The next morning, he was dead, unquote. About Anton LaVey, the author of the Satanic Bible, by the way, the same company that produces the NIV also produces the Satanic Bible. Authored by Anton LaVey at the time of that he lived, he was Satan's highest priest in the world, I believe. Satanic Bible author Anton LaVey, who lived the life of satanic worship, spreading the religion of Satanism, and his dying words were this, quote, Oh my, oh my, what have I done? There is something wrong here. He had no hope in his death because the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Notice only a fool says in his heart and then out of his mouth, there is no God. You don't have to say it out of your mouth if you deny that there's a God. You are a fool according to Psalm chapter 14 verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. The love of money is the root of all evil, while, which while some coveted after, verse 10, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, many live their lives, saints, coveting the temporal trinkets of this world and die in utter spiritual poverty, only to bust hell wide open. Notice Elizabeth I, she said, all my possessions for one moment of time. In other words, she wasted her whole life to get those possessions for a temporal short time that she left behind. Kurt Cobain, his suicide note said, quote, Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Ludwig van Beethoven's last words were, too bad, too bad. It's too late. 
Anne Boylan said, Oh God, have pity on my soul. Oh God, have pity on my soul. Prince Henry of Wales said, Tie a rope round my body, pull me out of bed, and lay me in ashes, that I may die with repentant prayers to an offended God. Oh, in vain, wish for that time I lost with you and others in vain recreations. Wow. Socrates, the great, quote-unquote, great philosopher, famous philosopher, said all of the wisdom of this world is but a tiny raft upon which we must set sail when we leave this earth. If only there was a firmer foundation upon which to sail, perhaps some divine word. Unquote. Obviously, he rejected the Bible as the word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words shall not pass away. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Psalm 119, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, and for instruction in righteousness. Aren't you blessed and thankful today for the written word wisdom of God to prepare us for what lies ahead so that we can say with Paul, when I'm absent from the body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. Sigmund Freud said, the meager satisfaction that man can extract from reality leaves him starving. Tony Hancock, a British comedian, his last words were, nobody will ever know I existed, nothing to leave behind me, nothing to pass on, nobody to mourn me, that's the bitterness or the bitterest blow of all, unquote. King Philip of France said, what an account I shall have to give to God, how I should like to live otherwise than I have lived, unquote. Luther Burbank said, I don't feel good, unquote. So also, last words of Aldous Huxley, a humanist. It is a bit embarrassing, he says, to have and this guy spent his life misleading people, this fool who said in his heart that in his words that there was no God, this humanist. And here's what he said at the end of his life. It is a bit embarrassing to have been concerned with the human problem all one's life and find at the end that one has no more to offer by way of advice than, quote, try and be a little kinder, unquote. Famous communist. Marxist, actually, Karl Marx said, go on, get out, last words for the fools who have not said enough, unquote. Napoleon said, I marvel that where the ambitious dreams of myself and of Alexander and of Caesar should have vanished into thin air, a Judean peasant, Jesus, should be able to stretch his hands across the centuries and control the destinies of men and nations. Leonardo da Vinci said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Unquote. Obviously, Leonardo da Vinci was poisoned by the works-based salvation of the Roman Catholic Church because your works could never be good enough to justify you as a sinner. Only Christ's work could, and his famous last words were, it is finished, and that means paid in full. The price for your sins and mine, friend, are paid in full 
in the precious blood of the Lamb. Tolstoy said, even in the valley of the shadow of death, two and two do not make six. Unquote. Benjamin Franklin said, a dying man can do nothing easy. H.G. Wells said, oh, go away. I'm all right. Mm. If he died and went to hell, he's not all right. That's for sure. So the list goes on of people who died in anguish. One of them, as we read earlier, screaming out that he was in flames. He was transitioning, which happens in a very instant, from heaven to hell. And having wasted their lives on trivial trinkets and pursuits, they rejected Christ saying in their hearts that there is no God. And you know, you don't have to say that out of your mouth or be a famous atheist. Your life is saying there is a God and I love him. Or it's saying your heart is saying and your life is saying there is no God and you are a fool. We've got a place on safeguardyoursoul.com called Peace with God, my friend, if you have not been born again. And by the way, if you're not sure you've been born again, it's because you absolutely have not been. And God wants you to be. He wants to give you a new life today. Jesus says, come unto me. This is the one who loves you more than any man could love you. This is the very son of God from heaven who came to earth to bring you back to God. Because you see, when Adam sinned, his sin passed upon all men, Romans 5, 12, and separated us all from God. And Jesus came to bridge that gap. He came to die, to pay the price, to be forsaken for but a moment on that cross that you might be forgiven. The just for the unjust. You see, we owe a debt we cannot pay, but Jesus came and paid a debt that he did not owe. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also hath once suffered, I'm sorry, for sins. Remember, he said, it is finished, John 19.30, which means it's paid in full. The price for your sins was paid in full by the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He wants to bring you to God and to eternal glory, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit. Jesus says to you today, whether you're unsaved, never been saved, or you were saved and are backslidden, he's saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that rest is not only now, it's for all eternity. Only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can give you the peace that passes all understanding. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest now and forever unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, friends, we can't hide anything from God. He sees all of our sin and he desires to forgive it. He's not willing that any, that's you, should perish, but that all should come to repent. Here's five facts of life. Number one, biblical facts. You are a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. Number two, you are going to die. It's absolute. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Number three, these are five facts of life. Number three, you will be judged. Remember Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You are facing judgment. Will you hear well? 
well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, or will you here depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire? Number four, you can't save yourself. You're a sinner. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we cannot save ourselves. Only Christ can save us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, that's the unmerited favor of God, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Also, five, the final fact of life. Number five, your hope is Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. He is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, those who are only 99.9% sure that they're going to heaven are as sure for hell as if they were already there. Today is your day to give your life to Jesus, friend. Don't wait another a minute. You are not listening to this message by accident. God is leading you and he wants to save you. He's leading you to himself. And the way he's going to save you is through the most astounding event in human history that occurred when this man we're preaching right now, Jesus Christ, the son of God, died on a Roman cross. And when he died, an untimely darkness covered the land at 3 p.m. And an earthquake occurred as he took his final breath. This man called Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. He was then buried in a tomb, and three days later he was raised again from the dead. And the reason why he died and raised again from the dead is because your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. You cannot know him until you repent and receive Jesus. And until that point, the way is a sin is death or separation from God. So at the end of his sinless life, Jesus carried the very cross that he was going to be nailed to. His infinite love for you, along with the nails driven through his hands and feet, held him to that cross as he agonized in pain for six hours to pay for our sins. He was crucified to make peace between God and man. He was the only one who qualified to do it. The Son of God bridged the the gap that sin had caused between God and his fallen human race, this wonderful man named Jesus chose to shed his lifeblood, to die in excruciating pain rather than to live without you. He loves you. And while you were yet a sinner, he died for your sins, the scriptures tell us. And then on the Peace with God page, my friend, I want you to read through it. It's not long. And at the end is a prayer where you can pray to the Father and surrender your life in repentance, admitting to him that you are a sinner, that you have sinned against him and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing him as the Lord and Savior of your life. I'll end with this, my friend. Jesus asked a question to you, and it's this, what, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Hello, Saints. Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of 
of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting, and feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.